Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining. Okay, I'm very, very, very excited for this new edition of Talks with Sato. For those of you that haven't been for the first few ones that we've already done, this is a weekly spaces in which we try to interview people involved in the Bitcoin space, be that either by building something on Bitcoin or by doing some community initiative. We have a few writers of Bitcoin books lined up for future interviews. We do them every week at this time, and then it gets released as a podcast afterwards. So I am very, very excited to have Alex here. He has a very interesting, unique story, and he is uh, someone that is doing a lot of really, really great work in the Bitcoin space. He was actually one of the first persons I interviewed when I was doing my, my own spaces when I first, first started. And I, I always enjoy my conversations with him. I always learn a lot. So, hey, Alex, I'm going to give you some time to do a bit of an intro. I know we both know each other. We've had a lot of conversations, but because this is with um, the Money on Chain community account, that's going to be for its own podcast, I think we need to start from the beginning. Yeah. Can you me now? So it's... I can hear you, yes. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. You know, Zimbabwe, as network is extremely bad. I think we have one telecom provider who's actually, who actually works in our region. So yeah, it's, it's pretty difficult. But um, you said you, you want to put an introduction into Bitcoin Reach. Is that true? Is that correct? Yeah, yes. I think if you can give us a little bit introduction about yourself first and then into Bitcoin Reach, which is the, the project that you, that you started. And then we can begin from there so that we have to assume that people that are going to hear this conversation know nothing about it. So hopefully this will be the introduction for them into you and Bitcoin Reach as well. All right. So, so yeah, my name is Alex Andrew and I'm actually from Zimbabwe. You know, Zimbabwe has had the highest rate of inflation in our life and, and the second highest rate of inflation in the world. I'm sorry, in history, like it's the second highest in thing. So, you know, you, you're coming from a place where like poor monetary governance has destroyed the livelihood of people. And what happens is that because your money loses personal power and earnings loses, losing its personal power, meaning that you basically get paid up to about $10 a month. What ends up happening is that it is more profitable for you to just kind of learn about finance and invest it and invest financial markets, even though you're only going to make 10% return, you're going to make money investing your money than thing. But that's what got me into, into Bitcoin. I started approaching Bitcoin from a financial perspective of how can I make money come for the gains for the revolution. And then from there, what happened was that I got into Twitter and I met this guy called Lucas and he created what we call Global Bitcoin Face Podcast. So Global Bitcoin Face Podcast is a podcast that interviews communities all around the world. They've interviewed, I think, 55 Bitcoin communities globally, Japan, England, you know, Ethiopia, Sudan, Africa, just name it. They've interviewed everyone. And from that... I kind of learned that, okay, so many Bitcoiners, so, so many amazing work and educating and not even just educating, but also like fighting the legal work when it comes to legal reforms in regards to Bitcoin. You have people who are given, giving away Bitcoin, you know, to just how people learn what it is. You have people doing Bitcoin walks where they go around walking as a fitness exercise, but also while they do the fitness, while they do the Bitcoin walks, they're putting stickers on everywhere, they turn out rich people businesses and this always people individuals. You have that host meetings on a day on a, on a month on, on a weekly basis, for example. And I said, okay, this is something that lacks in Zimbabwe. And out of every country in the whole entire world, Zimbabwe has a high rate of inflation, but yet it has no sweat Bitcoin adoption. So we absolutely need um a community. And instead of waiting community to, to instead of waiting, because I actually looked for one, I looked and I searched, I searched, instead of looking for one or waiting for community to come and say, okay, let me, this initiative, 
and getting people to work together so we could host collectively meetups, talk to sponsors into getting into, into, into in business, into the, into Zimbabwe and also, yeah, fighting the network. I hope that's an introduction. Yes, I was born in Argentina and I see now that my country has over a hundred percent inflation and it is horrible. I see the effects it has in the population and it is absolutely devastating, but I can't even imagine what it must be like in Zimbabwe because in Zimbabwe, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys have seen way, way higher than a hundred percent, right? Like almost a million percent or I'm, I'm getting off base here. Yes. So according to Steve Hogniak, he says emissions one 600% to 700%. And then the reported inflation, the one that the government gives us is only about 150. So <laughs> I think this is a, a kind of a segment that is kind of, is when you live with a authoritarian regime, they often try to dilute the truth and they try to the, the works really hard in order to paint that isn't there so we see that for example with the inflation rate the inflation rate that they report is 150 sometimes they're only 60 percent they say oh the inflation isn't that bad it's only 60 percent but then when you look at outside of zimbabwe what you see is that people say that the inflation rate was more than 600 percent you know you have days where inflation goes up by 50 percent to 100 percent right it's insane. And what ends up happening is that you 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 have what happened in just about you know, about a few months ago is we had a lot of bills because our mission like went by close to about hundred percent in that time. The billion dollar bills were no longer accepted, and they would only accept fifty dollar votes to hundred dollars and above. Any other nomination, if it's the same currency, wouldn't be accepted. Shops won't accept. Um, well, public transportation wasn't accepted, and you could have like your money that you had just become irrelevant. Not only, not even just you would see that. So, for example, they would charge about a thousand dollars in in Zimbabwean dollars to go home, and then tomorrow you you would have you would have received a thousand dollars as your as your basically whatever. Tomorrow they will say, okay, you two thousand dollars, and now. You're so used to the other thing, the other price that you don't have enough for to disperse. So it, it does affect like how you live and stuff. But yeah, that's just it's kind of the the experience when it comes to inflation and Zimbabwe. So degree. Yeah, no, that's that that is horrible because I, I can I can see how difficult it is for people to adjust to a hundred percent. So talking about seven hundred, six hundred that just, I don't even know what that would be like, honestly. Like I've been back to Argentina last year and I made a video because I was, I was almost like, I was laughing because I didn't want to cry. I went to exchange dollars for pesos. And when I was young, not too long ago, pesos and dollars were one-to-one, -one, right? So if you exchange 300 pesos, you would get $300. And last year I exchanged it $300 and I got over 50,000 pesos. Like I got literally handed a bag full of cash. And it seems like it's a lot of money because you, you say like, okay, I have 50,000, I'm rich. But then you go out and you buy a couple of things and you're out of money. And you're like, how is this even possible? And how does the economy work? So my question is like, how? What kind of problems this kind of inflation brings to everyday life? And like, is it possible to run a business properly or how, how do people cope with this? Yeah. I mean, okay. So I want to get into that. I think just one segment, I don't know if you don't mind just changing is that we, we really actually went through election. I, I see in today's world is that we think that sovereignty is given and there's always like sovereignty isn't given, it's taken. Meaning that, you know, whether you, you, you're fighting, that's a Bitcoin now for hard money, a monetary system that's not controlled by an individual 
or whether you're fighting for political change through a political party, for example, or whether you're fighting for, I don't know if you think climate change is real, <laughs> whatever. But the reason why I bring this up is because we went through elections and for, for this will be the third time where the opposition party is saying the, the regime is cheating. We won the election and they're going to go to fighting five years into court saying that we won the election, didn't count it properly. And one of the challenges that, one of the things that I, I, I noticed is that, you know, we have millions of, of people. There's 1.9 million voters voted for CCC as the regime, non-regime. We have a million people who voted, 1.9 million people who voted for the opposition party. Apparently, the opposition party won. But still, it won't in the election because the country can change it. And I mean, for the cost I was saying, it's not cast the votes, but who counts the vote that matters. When it comes to these fiat traditional systems, you, know, you are relying on a government that has a monopoly on violence to act in your interest, and that will never happen. They will all act in their, in their own interest. Yet, individuals would actually change. I think, I mean, the reason why I bring this up is because I believe that the biggest resistance, I guess, the biggest way to fight any authoritarian regime is through hard money. Because, for example, one way that the regime was, was trying to win votes was that they were giving free food, right? They have this thing called chicken, like KFC, basically, to all, to all, to all people that are coming to their rights. They will give free farms, youth, people of my age. They will give, what's the quote? They'll give, I think, yeah, give cars, highlights, and all that stuff. So, so many people want to say, okay, let's go and support this authoritarian regime, even though they've killed people and all that nonsense and stuff. No matter what opposition does, they never, I don't think they're, they're ever going to win the election and never get a seat of power. But if they can fund them, if they can stop them from, from being able to inflate and be able to put money in order to buy wealth such as Vice and KFC, give or to give to their fake, to give to the fake borders, or to stop them from being able to give um, um, loans through printing money again. In order to win the youth vote by giving them fake by giving them farm, for example, that will significantly impede and harm or stop the to regime. If they were to even stop them from having the funds to have not on violence. Let me give you just one more one more point is that when I was homeless one day, I bumped into a friend, someone who I met a while ago, and he says, Yo, you know, when I, when I was growing up, I used to look to people who go into town and wear suits. And I'd be like, yo, I just one day go into town and, and wear suits and earn a livable wage, be happy. He now grows up and he goes into town and to wear, wear suits and to work under these guys. He only earns $80 for the entire month. $80. <laughs> and he's like, yo, this is just me. And I'm really disappointed. So... He's like, you know, the only thing that I can do in order to earn a, 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 a livable wage, go into the military where they earn close to $400 a month, you see. So as you see that, like, in these, when the Ottoman regime has control over money, monetary supply, they can, one, buy a monopoly on violence, two, buy votes, and three, watch rulers. Yeah, I think they also to stop the varieties and stuff. So this is the kind of this is the kind of things that I think about how hard money really solves all kind of conflicts of those regimes in countries like mine. Wow, that is that is a very, very interesting story that really paints the picture of what it would be like. I know in my own personal experience, like in, in Argentina, a lot of people end up, like you said, working for the government. So this, this thing that they do, that they steal away your purchasing power, then it, it is a tool that they can use to control. And then once you depend on them, it is very, very hard for you to, 
to push back. So Bitcoin in this regard, it, it is a very, very interesting tool. And I wanted to ask, like, how is the education of Bitcoin in Zimbabwe going? And what are your, the challenges that you're facing? And what do, what are you seeing that is the, what is making people understand Bitcoin and adopt Bitcoin, you know, because there's a lot of angles you can explain Bitcoin to people. So in Zimbabwe, in particular, with all this situation that, that you guys are involved in, what is the part of Bitcoin that you see that is, is connecting with people? So, so yeah, I would kind of like to kind of push that question by, by also kind of looking at it from a political point of view, but without politics involved. So, you know, money is how you, how we vote in, in certain society. Well, what we purchase shows what support basically is basically or with what we purchase on a daily basis shows the society that we would like to create and we would like to live in, right? So as you said, what is the educational, what's the education factor in some way? First, Bitcoin Beach is like, okay, first thing we need to do as a community is we need to generate money. And then once we have money, we can now say, okay, we would like to vote for this type of change in Zimbabwe with these steps. So the first type of thing that we did through our money, right, was we, we consistently post Bitcoin meetups once every month. We each we say it two but we host once, once every month. And with that, what we try to do is we try to look for new people to host, but not only really just host looking for new people. But what we also do is that we, what I did was actually took half of my wage and every month I pay the person who was organizing events with me. And I have to try to find new people every because if you find a, a new person to host a big event month, for example, one is that he now has a financial incentive to learn as much Bitcoin, as much Bitcoin knowledge as possible. Two, he now has a financial incentive to bring all his family members. I mean, whenever people are a business, there's always that thing. You start a business with family, friends, and force the three Fs. Now is in the center, bring in his family, to bring in his friends and to bring in the fools that will follow him, that will listen to him, right? And educate and teach to the people what he's done or based on theme of the specific month. But last month we were, we were looking at, for example, was Pan-Africa, an African case for Bitcoin. And what I liked about that was that we had to learn so much about the African financial history, because what you see is that Africa's divided into, was basically divided into two regions or two different colonization um, parties, basically. You had the Anglo-Frank and the Anglo-Sanskans. The Anglo-Sanskans were basically the British, and then the Anglo-Frank were basically the French. And even up to today, we still love using the Frank and the British um, systems, right? If you look at the, the Franco, for example, the CFA, you have about 13 African countries that speak French and use the CFA country, use the only financial, they use the only economized currency. That's so it's up, up into today, right? And you get to learn about all these, these ways or the different ways that um, we as Africa get oppressed. And it always comes down to basically the money. Right, it comes down to the money, it comes down to, to, to debt, and it comes down to what you do with accessibility. So our permissionless trade. And you see that Bitcoin services because Bitcoin allows trade neutrality, for example. It allows individuals free access to hard money and stuff. But yeah, so people get a financial incentive to learn and educate. So that's our first way that we actually say, okay, our first type of thing and type of that we would like to build society with. And we got this money by, by collaborating or by working for basically what we call Rooster. And that's where the funds come by companies, by Bitcoin companies. I think one of the, the biggest strategies that we do have today is that 
if you work for a Bitcoin company, you might you might get might get uh, what you know what can I say listed right? And this is pretty funny because you can have a, another Bitcoin company doing the same thing, but people will celebrate that company, but won't celebrate this one. So yeah, that's the first voting that we got from the money that we generated by collaborating with who's the second type of thing that we did, which is going to be coming, which is going to be next, is we're going to be, be getting funds from a charitable organization called Get the Fund. They're going to be giving us funds and we hope to change our society by voting, right? Every time you, you make a vote, you are voting for change. Exactly. Money or we are voting. So when we get this money, Giza Fund, what we would like to do is we would like to do up Alpha members and beta members. And the office are one element of it because you really want to just really hear these people. And you consider like a one-time payment. Hey, here's a jacket. Here's a pair of pants. Maybe a pair of shoes. And we've dressed you up. And what we expect from you now is to volunteer maybe on a Tuesday, on a Thursday, maybe both days, for example, into going into the streets uh, of Zimbabwe. Or what I prefer, actually, what I think is going to be the most impactful way to, to change Zimbabwe is to get these individuals to collaborate with universities. Because, for example, if you had gone to the streets of Zimbabwe, might not find as much traffic as you like based on your region, you might even get away from that from that specific region saying that you're loaded and stuff. If you were to take three members, three other members who are well-educated, well-dressed up, you say, okay, go into this university. And when you go into the university, working with the CEO is, I forgot the exact terminology for that, that person, but it's student that's for that university. You can spend maybe once a Tuesday, once a Thursday, and you can basically um, go on a campus that has about 2,000 or 5,000 people. You can reach up to about maybe 30 people a day. And what you're doing is saying, when, well, this is what we're trying to do, which changed Zimbabwe by the financial revolution in the 80s. Two, we would like you to come into our community and you join our community by just joining our WhatsApp group because in Africa, Everyone basically has a WhatsApp link. So all you have to do is just check out WhatsApp group link. Three, once you join our WhatsApp group link, you can now get um, updates on when our next physical is going to be, right? But the main purpose is that we want to create one of the biggest, if not the biggest, Bitcoin Africa. Africa, right? That's why, like, you have maybe you go out with about three or four people, for example. Each person has a target to bring in 10 people in that four people go out, that's 40 people in that day. And the reason why this is important is because even at it from a marketing perspective, from a business perspective, whenever you're trying to sell, whenever you're trying to sell your product, for example, you're you, you, you find 10 leads and then three of them are going to buy or three of them are going to, are going to be curious and are going to continue research. And then one of them is going to be a buy, right? Exact same approach. I think one of the biggest problems we face today when we are educating as educators is we create Twitter spaces. Often these Twitter spaces only get heard or get noticed by people who are already on Twitter or already Bitcoiners. We have to be more aggressive and to expand into reaching to new people who haven't can Bitcoin as much as seriously just yet, right? So that's what we're trying to do. Bitcoin reach. We're trying to reach out into the masses and we want to do that as much as we can with as low as a budget as we possibly can, right? So that's our second vote, right? But you're noticing when I say votes, you know, 
I'm not talking any political or any ideology. I'm saying this is how we vote without money. And every time we can reach a lot of funding, this is how we can vote and vote to change our society, which is the most important thing. So that's the type of capital that we get. And this is the kind of impact that we're able to, right? Because, yeah, that, that's that's yeah, is, is how can we change our nation with the that we do, that, that we do get. And these, this is basically the new strategies that we are going to be implanting. But also, I wanted to say this, just the last point is that these two strategies and firstly, by having a group of four people or five people, for example, go out, recruits, or try to bring in 10 people, so 50 people in total, into the community. Once they're in, once they're in the community and once they want to learn, the next thing is, okay, this is the next thing that you can do is come to fiscal events, right? Which was sponsored by Booster, right? And this is how we vote for the chain that we that we got saying as well. Wow, yeah, that that was that was very, very very good. You touched on a lot of things that resonated with me a lot. What you were talking about that we need to reach out beyond Bitcoin Twitter and the already existing Bitcoin community and the people that are already interested in Bitcoin. I think that is that is really, really important. And you know, the fact that you are doing it in one of the places where the traditional system is failing the most, you know, I think that's where Bitcoin can also do the most good for people. You're also talking about incentivizing people, you know, like having people host events every month and paying them to get them using the technology, not just teaching about it in a vacuum, but having the practical experience. I think that is very, very important. And I, I love that you're taking that approach. Even, you know, your name, Bitcoin Reach, it's literally Bitcoin reaching out to the greater community. You know, I think studying in, in universities is a great, great idea. You mentioned two things, that you're getting funding through Rootstock and through Gazer Fund. So just if somebody is listening to this recording uh, later and they don't know about these two things, I'll briefly say that Rootstock is a, is a layer two of Bitcoin, developing different solutions and technologies. Money on chain is a project working on Rootstock. And Gazer Fund is like a Kickstarter, but instead of sending funds in dollars through the traditional rails, you use Bitcoin through the Lightning Network. And it's another very, very interesting project. I will also say to the, to the listeners that if you have any questions that you want to post, this is an interactive space. So we encourage everyone to interact. And along the lines that you were talking about, about having people interact with Bitcoin and but in the best case scenario, earning through Bitcoin while they're learning. I just want to give a shout out to Jeremy, who's in the audience right, right now, because he's the, the creator of Satoshi's Journal, which is a website that pays you in Bitcoin to write articles about Bitcoin. That is something that I'm, I'm hoping is going to encourage more people to, to delve into the space. And I am also happy to announce that we have him scheduled to be a future guest on Talks with Saturn. I'm looking forward to that very, very much as well. And one thing that I, I want to ask you, and this is something that I think could be like, I don't understand why this is not happening more, but in Africa, especially in, in Zimbabwe, where the economic situation is what it is, which is pretty bad. You would imagine that it would be quite cheap for Bitcoin companies to hire people from Africa and pay them in Bitcoin. And is, is that something that, that is happening? Because I, to me, I think 
if I had a Bitcoin company, like I would prefer to hire web developers, designers, content creators, and all that stuff coming from Africa. Like it would be cheaper. You would be helping Bitcoin movement grow in those places where it's needed the most. And you would be able to inject liquidity into those communities. Is that something that's happening or is it, I don't know if you can give me some uh, insight there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so that's kind of the topic. So I, I, from my perspective, what I'd like to say is that, you know, Bitcoin is a such high mind in a small way that we started for premium, just like people. In fact, what happened was 2015, when the government realized that Bitcoin Actually, Zimbabwe was leading in adoption. We were actually leading, right? Because one hard money to permitless trade, which which allows to overcome sanctions, which is because of the Bitcoin and our page neutrality. So trade neutrality means that regardless of whether you're communist or socialist, I mean, capitalist, or whether you are from or from America, it doesn't care who you are. Um, will, your transaction will be processed based on the size of the, of the transaction, right? Zimbabwe was leading, came to that. And what happened was, as soon as we put ATMs, our lovely politicians said, oh, you guys are taken outside of the country. They banned it. They placed an implicit ban on Bitcoin. And as soon as that implicit ban got placed on Bitcoin, premiums went up to as high as 98%. You could sell your Bitcoin for a hundred percent in Zimbabwe around twenty twenty fifteen, right? Because people needed a currency of a trade neutrality, right? Especially when you come from a region of Zimbabwe that's be sanctioned by the world in twenty fifteen. Base these also, by the way, are illegal sanctions. So these are sanctions that the United Nations came, they sent the representatives and said, okay, one sanctions are illegal. Two, they have the Zimbabweans over $100 billion, right? In terms of business aid, foreign, foreign aid, and even loans, for example. How uh, off of the population, 7 million people, people are, are starving because of that. Functions block the ability for people in Zimbabwe to process transactions internationally. They also freeze their accounts for people, trade internationally sometimes, and they sometimes have assets confiscated. Like, there been so many cases where, when, as, as I was trying to buy assets out of, out of Zimbabwe in, in America, there'll be so many times where my account would get locked. And I'm talking about on a daily basis. I would have to consistently call the book. Can you please unlock my account? Um, I want to have access to my assets, right? So, so yeah, Bitcoin comes in, it offers trade policy, it offers the fact that people custody their assets without having to worry about having their assets confiscated or frozen, even though they have committed no crimes against any crimes in their life. Bitcoin offers them of the chance to have an asset that they can store in custody, which is just the, that was like the, one of the big things, right? So that's what he's such a high premium. On, on this asset, but it was able to send money consistently back and forth, right? Cheaply also. So yeah, <laughs> there was high premiums. Now the challenge with jobs in Zimbabwe is that sanctions do not affect the ability to trade and hold your assets, but it also says that any entity, any American entity or any entity and a bilateral relationship with America cannot offer trade, goods and services, or even jobs to Zimbabweans, right? There's some cases where a company would like to offer me, or they would like to send me sponsorships or a code card, for example. I mean, how do we want this, for example? And it's, oh, but you're in Zimbabwe, so we can't. Um, that's unfortunate. They would like to sponsor events and marketing ventures in Zimbabwe. And then they say, oh, no, but you're in Zimbabwe, so we can't. That's, but it's also the fact that it's an implicit ban, which means that even if a company wanted, like maybe it was Binance, for example, wanted to come in, they can't 
come in as an exchange because they are not allowed to offer up an offer from fiat back into Bitcoin, right? And this is where we're going to come back in. It takes. So this is also the thing where I talk about, you know, people think that sovereignty is given. Not only that, but they expect sovereignty without doing any actions in in the pursuit of sovereignty. And whether it's sovereignty or whether it is rationality, right? People must learn that a man's mind is a mind of volitionless consciousness or volition. Basically by choice, choose to gain knowledge in order to be a rational actor. But it's the same thing when it comes to when it comes to your sovereignty. You have to choose to use a hard money that one hours and confiscate. If you just put money under your mattress, someone can take it by force. You choose to put gold, someone can take it by force. You choose to put your money in a bank account, someone by force. If you choose to use money which rail lines are controlled, a political party, you will suffer the consequences of your transactions blocked or frozen from you. Sovereignty is to be taken. You have to make the actions in order to live in a free society. And the reason why I bring this up is because, you know, we're just coming from elections. And you have so many people saying, well, I'm not going to vote. It doesn't matter to me. I just, I don't want to, I want to hear anything about politics. And not only just that, but like there were so many times where I would express a political view as many people will say, we'll have to be quiet about it. Don't say anything because we'll get in trouble. Or don't go to this political rally because you'll get killed or you'll get hit by a rock or you get hit by a spear. Or if you post this, people are going to come knocking on your doors. And that, that same person is highlighting that we're currently in a politically hostile environment. But why I will say the same sentence as saying that I won't do anything to change it. And you're like, so you think doing nothing will better the situation or better situation for your future children and that's how it works. Right? As the same thing with Britain Reach. You know, it, it, it was this thing of who's going to change Zimbabwe? Who's going to bring Bitcoin into Zimbabwe? Who's going to bring the sponsorships? Who's, who's going to work into being the, the pathway, the pavement in order for Bitcoin adoption to happen in Zimbabwe? Not just me saying, oh, you know, Zimbabwe has the financial models. The financial models are based on a command control policy, meaning that we get $3 limits, how much we're going to withdraw from an ATM, $3 per day. Or we have highest interest rate where, you know, we hit about 30% per month. Which This is nothing because apparently in Argentina, on the 90s, you, you has hit 600% interest rates during the part where you had it, you suffered from a 5 million percent rate of inflation. This was before, but this was after IMF, you guys are not pitch. Anyway. Even though we have the worst inflation, repeatedly, repeatedly, you think these guys will say they 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 assume that the same political party or the same international institutions that are reasons for the suffering from such high inflation and interest rates and the same reason why we can't get access to credits are going to be the same people. Uh, who are going to give us a better financial system. Or one day we're going to wake up and these guys just, uh, are going to give a better financial model. And it is not the case. Right? We, we have to, to, to fight for it. We have to use the systems that are not even convenient or sometimes even propose a slight risk to a certain degree or, 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 or might beat like, oh, I sent someone here today and the frequentist hasn't, hasn't had his confirmation, which is the, I mean, it is what it is. But you have to go through the, these difficult impediments for a solid financial system that will be better for us. So, yeah.
I forgot my, my train of thought. Yeah, sorry. Oh yes, I, I I love them, and I was I was taking a lot of a lot of notes, and yeah, I think you know when you when you were saying that you were needing to ask, can I please have access to my own assets, please? That that shows you that there's something that's something clearly wrong, and there is this problem that people because people have been living in the current system for so long. It's almost that they they think that this is this is normal, you know. This is how things are. This is how things were. This is how things will always be. And then you present them an alternative like Bitcoin, and like you said, it's not as convenient in some ways because we're building the network from the ground up, and it's something completely different that is detached from the traditional system, and that is is difficult for people to understand to to get on onboarded on this new system. And I experience this very, very much every day when I try to teach people about Bitcoin and how to understand. And even with my own family sending money back and back and forth from Argentina to Australia, it's it's quite challenging. And yeah, I just I just wanna give you like a lot of compliments on what you are doing because even you know when we started this conversation and you were saying that you were looking for a Bitcoin community in Zimbabwe and you didn't find one. And instead of giving up, you were like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to create one, <laughs> you know? And that is incredible. That is incredible. I also wanted to ask you if you could later send me the, the Gazer fund link so that when we publish this as a podcast, people can find it in the description. And hopefully we can we can get some people uh, supporting you. Now we're, we're getting close to the hour, so I want to encourage one more time to the listeners to post any questions that you want want to ask. And before we wrap up, I want to ask you about like where do you see Bitcoin reach going from now? Like what are your plans towards the future? And if you want to leave us with Anything specific that we can do to help you, that would also be great. Oh yes, yeah. So I've, like you, you about keys of fund and the name. Actually, I recently did an interview, and we we're talking about what what would I inspire. So in keys of fund, in the video, I I I talked about this new strategy called um jab jab white hook. So it's basically. Give, 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 and then ask, right? So, so, so the first is we, we go, the four other members come into the streets and then talk about people. So there's that, I think there's inbound and outbound communication. So outbound communication is basically communication that is kind of direct to you, like private, like one-on-one communication, for example. And what's inbound, sorry, you something inbound. So the first part, First, communication that you want to have people that are new to your product or new to Bitcoin is inbound communication, which is kind of, this is like first type of information that you, so you, it's kind of like out there, right? You, you meet someone on the road, you talk to them, hey, you know, Bitcoin reach is what we make, fish a couple of videos and okay, this is the world, this is, this is what we're trying to preach, etc, etc. They join the, they join the white love group and there they get to ask questions, they also get a deep videos, they get a Twitter space, for example, where they can ask the questions again. This is more, uh, this is a kind of outbound, kind of personal communication. Then the second part, then the third, yes, second part is now where we're going to be giving kids. And this is kind of the most important part is the most part is that we're doing Bitcoin walks. So Bitcoin walk is basically you go out on the road, and that's where you you meet your client your, your client house where you trying to get each person to talk to about ten people per day, for example. But we're rewarding the people who are going to do this by like a whole Bitcoin kit because what would be nice is that we can kind of color the trees range with when Bitcoin hoodies and Bitcoin pass, for example. That's kind of our one of the sense. To just say, listen, you want to be a part of the community because there are people that want to really change the world with Bitcoin, change the world with Bitcoin. 
but there's nothing to them, okay, you're part of the movement. So this is one way of kind of getting them that, that family saying, okay, you want to be part of the movement, the kids, join us, and all that stuff, right? Do probably kind of really, really become passionate about it. I'm like, we're just, we're just great. And then the, the, the third part, third element is that there's those private events. I mean, those meetups <laughs> where we have five to more for like really coming to the meetups now because really enjoy it. They get a free meal, they get a free drink, but I mean, they'll show up as early as 11 in the morning and go home at like six o'clock late nights, just literally discussing about pre-coding the entire, entire day, right? Which is just so, which, which is so crucial because and the thing about it, one thing I like about this is that there's a thing that I say, it takes a whole community, orange peel person. Someone is going to orange people, orange peel with them just like that one interaction that you have. So having multiple stages, in some stages, costs nothing, but allow individuals to either ask questions or learn uh, through action or through videos or Twitter spaces. That's one, that's, that's one method, right? That's how we get to that knowledge building community, for example. And then the last one, the who you ask is you either ask them to buy Bitcoin, ask them to buy one of the, 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 the protocols that we, that we're using that we get sponsored by bigger companies, or we ask them to just join us in, in volunteering and doing these Bitcoin walks where they get free kits and stuff. So I think that's one of the biggest rumors. I think the other one that we might be doing, we're trying to invest a bit more into the media setup for Bitcoin Reach because there's so much knowledge in terms of Pan-African characters for Bitcoin, in terms of Pan-African operation through financial models that just didn't been covered. And we would like to, to, to be able to dedicate so much research into explaining to people ways that they've been oppressed financially, whether it's in the Anglo-Franken regions or the Anglo-Saskan regions such as Southern Africa. I mean, just even today, I mean, just even just this recent thing, the whole political thing, you know, people work so much time trying to vote for change and they make absolutely no progress. In fact, actually lose money supporting um, our position. Not just a bad thing, but it, it is not successful. I said that, you know, Bitcoin is the only sovereign revolution that is actually winning because it is actually profitable to participate on. When you participate in a political oppositional party and lose your life, you can lose a limb, you can, you can lose your money just by supporting them, for example. No, none of these anything against that, and what you please do you support support them but it comes at cost when you support building a hard money standard which is controlled where the money source is not controlled by any individual and you're owning an asset at finite you make money and you also get to change the world right so media outlet really want to get into you might not have the budget for it but if you get the budget for it we do think that working on reaching as many people as possible and then creating the quality content that really speaks and visions, especially Africa, is, is the step that we'd like to, to, to take. That, that was perfect. I, I really, really hope you get to establish that media, media content-wise. And if, if you do, let me know and I'll do whatever I can to help you promote that content online and one thing that struck a chord with me when you were talking about how with bitcoin you can you know participate in this movement that empowers you instead of like supporting an opposition of a political movement or something like that that i think is, is very very important for people to understand is that for example in this situation you in zimbabwe and my family and friends in Argentina are suffering similar problems that are caused by the same system. And if you in Zimbabwe 
try to fight it politically in Zimbabwe and my friends and family in Argentina do the same in Argentina. You're each fighting separate battles. But when you understand that the solution is not political, it's actually economical through Bitcoin, economical and technological, and you start supporting Bitcoin, then suddenly people in Argentina and people in Zimbabwe are actually joining forces, becoming stronger together and fighting together, which we, before it was not possible, it was not possible at all. And it's not only happening in Zimbabwe and Argentina, but it's happening in El Salvador. It's happening everywhere in the world. And we are all contributing and we're all becoming stronger the more the network grows. That's something I, it's a thought that came into my mind just now when you were talking about that. Yes, please continue. <laughs> uh, no, I just want to say that we, we are going to be doing, we're going to be hosting a space on socialism versus capitalism. And I mean, this is what it goes into because, you know, like I think what we P. Love talks about how, you know, in the most capitalistic state in America, the money, the central bank controls like food, money, the central bank basically is a monopoly on, on violence, on, it's a monopoly on the supply of, of, of money, right? It's basically earning money. And that's basically socialism. So you basically see that, that, you know, at the, at the highest point, you know, I mean, at the, the highest points of all transactions, I mean, 50% of all transactions is money. So you can see that, that capitalism, right? We're not living in a capitalist world. We're living in a more socialist world. I just want to say that we, we're going to be talking about that in the next Twitter space and and you see that, you know, that as we're all fighting the, the same battle and I believe it's a battle against socialism and then people are going to be fighting against saying there's going to be socialism that's fine. But we would love to get, if anyone's going to be there, to just come in and, and uh, definitely tune in that one because I think that's going to be really one of the best spaces ever onto this. That sounds wonderful, man. Uh, send us the link and we will share it through our, our socials and I'll share it through my personal socials as well. Hopefully we can, we can get more people to join and be part of the conversation. I do believe we have more of these kinds of conversations. Uh, we might be able to start reaching out, like you said, in the, in the very beginning of this conversation. Now we're, we're past the hour mark. So Alex, I just want to thank you for your time and everything that you are doing. Um, again, I, I remember the first time we spoke. And it was a long while ago and you were describing your ideas of the community that you wanted to build. And it's been amazing to watch how it, it went from an idea to an actual thing. And now there's more and more people like I'm, I'm, I'm a part of your WhatsApp group and I just see people just discussing ideas all day long. And I, I love it. Right? And uh, so I just want to say thank you. Thank you everyone for being here. Like I said, this is a weekly spaces. We do it every Tuesday at this time. And hopefully we get to see you there next week. And Alex, I will be very, very happy to have you again sometime down the line and to keep us updated on how things are going and how we can help you reach out to more people. Well, well thank you. I really appreciate having the platform to speak about what we're trying to do. We don't really get that often, but yeah, we really appreciate it. Mike was, yeah, he's also part of the, the, the community. He was helping us go. He didn't get to anything, but it's okay. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. And yeah, this will be released as a podcast quite soon. So hopefully we'll get more people to to hear it and to learn more about Bitcoin Reach. And yeah, I, I hope this is helpful for you. So thank you all. And hopefully we'll see you next week. <laughs>